Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's May 12th, 1932. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by... Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the two founders of Alcoholics Anonymous met for the first time in a city called Akron, which is in Ohio. The first chap is a guy called Bill Wilson, who's also known as Bill W or just Bill within Alcoholics Anonymous, because it's kind of become a shorthand by which members can recognize one another by using the phrase, are you a friend of Bill? Uh, So it's got, so his name has kind of become this. I didn't know that. That's brilliant. It's kind of synonymous with the anonymity of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, But anyway, so he was a stock speculator and served in the military. Uh, It was when he was in the military that he had his first alcoholic drink, which was a glass of beer, which he said didn't have any effect on him. But the second drink he had was a a real bender where he he went to a dinner party and had this this night drinking a cocktail called the Bronx Cocktail. And we're just going to have to take a quick detour here because apparently in 1935, the Bronx Cocktail was the third most famous cocktail in the world behind the martini and the manhattan and i don't know about you guys but i have never heard of a bronx cocktail no never what's in it it's six parts (laughs) gin uh three parts sweet red vermouth two parts dry vermouth and three parts orange juice yeah it's kind of a martini meets an aperol spritz meets six parts gin (laughs) (laughs) meets the gutter (laughs) i can see how this they could have had an effect he described it in his book that they read at aa as the elixir of life Mm. Yeah, it was that description that made me think that he already had a bit of an unconventional relationship with alcohol, but eventually it came to have really negative impact, sadly, on both his professional and personal life. In 1933, he was committed to a drug and alcohol addiction group. What was an anti-alcohol group like before Alcoholics Anonymous? Like a rehab centre where you have a doctor and a sort of conventional program um, to try to attend to your needs. But actually, some of the things that took place in the hospital were fairly remedial. And so, in fact, one of the therapies that he was given contributed to the experience that he had that went on to underpin his fight against his own alcoholism, which was, so he was administered this deliriant called Belladonna, also known as Deadly Nightshade, which at the time was being administered. The fourth most popular cocktail of 1936. (laughs) Um, Deadly Nightshade had a whole lot of medicinal and cosmetic uh, applications at the time. But yeah, so he was given this stuff and had a hallucination on this thing that led to him thinking that he had been spoken to by God and God wanted him to stop drinking and he stopped drinking. And the newly religious Bill Wilson fell in with the evangelical Oxford group, who you may remember from our episode on Mary Whitehouse. Bill Wilson was inspired not only by their teachings, which taught that sin was a form of disease, 
which, uh, you know, at the time, alcoholism was considered, you know, a moral failing rather than a disease. But they also enjoyed alliteration and lists, which was mm. something that really connected with Wilson as well. Mm. And so he was on a trip to Akron, Ohio. He felt tempted to fall off the wagon. And so he asked a minister to connect him with a local alcoholic that he could sort of talk himself down with. And they put him in touch with Bob Smith, who was a local doctor. Well, hold um, on, his alcoholic. name doesn't alliterate. <laughs> well, he couldn't do much about that. Um, and and they, I don't know if this was something that was just more common in the 1930s, but Bill Wilson just moved in with Bob Smith and his wife yeah. um, and lived with them for a month while the two men came up with a, a plan to bring more alcoholics to sobriety. Wait, and when you say they liked lists, I mean, do you mean the Ten Commandments? Because that's quite a big one, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the Oxford group had um, five C's. Um, oh, go on. Christianity. Christianity. <laughs> yeah, that's always the, the top one. Yeah. Uh, one of them was confidence. They yeah. just, they had lots of lists of like, these are the five C's, these are like the 16 L's, etc., which made it a message that was quite easy to propagate. Well, that's the genius, isn't it, of the 12 steps? I do think that the 12 steps is such a neat idea, which yeah. is still being used now. Like if you think about Jordan Peterson's uh, 12 rules for life or, you know, a BuzzFeed listicle, the idea of like the number of 12 yeah. being... Like, there's just too many to sub it down to 10. You know, like, this thing is full of ideas. There's too, it feels like a real number, but at the same time, like, it's bite-sized enough for you to remember them all, like the 12 yeah. days of Christmas or the 12 and, months of the year. And also, conceptually, it's a thing that, like, you know about the 12 steps of AA without actually knowing what the 12 steps are. You know, just mm. the, the concept is strong enough to stand on its own. Um, but it was this, this fateful meeting of, of these two men that led to uh, the development of what came to be known as Alcoholics Anonymous, which was the, the, the book that they wrote together after they worked with a bunch of other alcoholics and, and had really positive results, they found. But not that positive. They were the first to admit that they had quite a low success rate. It was weird because they were very buoyed on the excitement, even though they admitted that they had, I think it was something like a 5% success rate in their first years, but they still felt like we should definitely write this book because we're seriously onto something. Well, isn't that part of the AA thing, though, is kind of admitting that you're going to fall off the wagon isn't it well and that's the beauty of being anonymous because it means that you can't really bring the organization <laughs> into disrepute well you say that although someone actually that i know sent me a tweet saying um are you a friend of bill <laughs> <laughs> no he, he mentioned a celebrity let's um let's call him larry anonymous for the sake of this story and he basically said ollie you should interview larry anonymous i've been going to aa with him for weeks and he's awesome it's <laughs> wow. like Wow. I'm pretty sure that's like yeah, one of the things you don't do when you're at AA. It's the first rule of Fight Club. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, anonymity has remained central to AA through all the years. Some things from the early years have not made that journey. Bill Wilson's special recipe to reduce alcohol cravings, which he first Six tested, parts gin. <laughs> he, which he tested his... The first person he actually tested this on, apparently, was Bob Smith himself. Mm. Sauerkraut, tomato juice and corn syrup. Ugh. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it was incredibly horrible. And also, that I think it's surprising how rooted in Christianity the origins mm. were as well. I mean, I know mm. a lot of people have criticised AA over the years, you know, for its focus on a higher power. But Bible study was a major part of the original group. Mm. And Wilson and Smith, there are accounts of them literally praying at the bedsides of new converts as they were struggling to overcome their addictions. And quite a lot of the 12 steps are actually very godly. You know, it's all about but we are giving in to God and we accept him as the higher power. And some of them are quite practical, but quite a lot of them, in fact, five of them, uh, are about accepting God into your life. 
But that's been amended now, hasn't it? So you can sort of interpret God to mean any higher power you like. On the question of its effectiveness, though, AA has at various points claimed that it's up to 75% effective, which does seem a little bit overinflated. And certainly subsequent studies have looked into that question. And part of the problem with even assessing how effective it is, is the fact that it's got anonymity built into it. So it's really hard to assess, you know, the incoming class and the outgoing consequences. Yeah, and probably the effectiveness of AA is obscured a bit by its ubiquity. I mean, it's incredibly widespread. But the reason for that mostly is not to do with its success, but the fact that it's completely free. It's community-based, it's mutual aid, it's, there's no medical interventions involved. And that's why, you know, especially in the States, it's really popular in prisons. Yeah. But that doesn't necessarily make it effective. It just means it's really appealing if you're in charge of putting in those programs. The happy news is, though, that drinking rates are going down. And there are these contemporary efforts to portray today's teens and like the Gen Gen Z generation as sanctimonious, yoga-going, superfood-loving types. But actually... Not drinking so much. He hasn't got is his part. Richard Little John on, has he, Rebecca? He wouldn't have made <laughs> that sentence with types. That'd have been another more derogatory word. <laughs> um, yeah, but actually, there is truth to the trajectory of drinking all around the world, and and Gen Z does drink less than millennials, and millennials do drink less than. Um, Gen X and and it is going in that direction which is happy news. Yeah but I think that's partly because non-alcoholic drinks are better now. So true. Don't you find? Like there's there's a tonic water that I get which is like grapefruit and something and it's so good I almost don't want to ruin it by adding gin. Yeah. No, that sounds like nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) You sound like you're trying to start your own movement. I mean, what happened is I got diagnosed with gout last summer and told that I have to cut back my alcohol. So I went about trying to find the most expensive non-alcoholic drinks I could have and pretend that it was booze. And that's the best I can do. So maybe I have convinced myself, but I have. But equally, all of the drinks that like no alcohol beer or very low alcohol beer, they've actually started to nail it. You know, it tastes really good. Yeah, Rebecca, it tastes really good. Oh, it's just (laughs) empty calories, you fools. Just have a glass of water if you're not going to drink. But it makes you realise that after all those years that you spent as or that I spent as a a late teen trying to develop a taste for beer, now I actually do like the taste of beer and I'm quite happy for them to take alcohol out of it. Whereas it started out as a sort of a vehicle to get me my alcohol um, to do I need to sign up for the 12 steps? Maybe I do. <laughs> Tomorrow. Which makes him sound a bit yeah. some mothers do have him situation, <laughs> where obviously he's a cybersecurity <laughs> researcher. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.